Welcome to the Pastor Study Podcast. This is Pastor Sean, and I will share some thoughts and stories about being a pastor. Hello, everyone. Once again, this is Pastor Sean, and it's glad to be here. It's this warm and nice February. Today is a February 1st when I'm recording this. And can you believe this weather for those who are in Minnesota? Like, we're really enjoying this mild winter right now. And probably many of you are thinking, like, what is going on? Because it's around Super Bowl time where the weather is supposed to be really, really cold, but it is super nice. Today, we're going to be reading and looking into the story of Daniel chapter 2. Okay, Daniel chapter 2. And we want to hear this story of the dream of King Nebuchadnezzar. And maybe you know this story, but why don't you once again pay close attention to what the Bible has to say to all of us. I know you must be excited about this weather or maybe you're busy for work or house or schoolwork or whatever that would be. Why don't you just pause and let's get into it. Okay, let's go to book of Daniel chapter 2. In the second chapter of Daniel, God reveals to us a dream that he gave to Nebuchadnezzar, a dream that predicted the future some 2,500 years in advance. We have trouble today predicting the weather even a few days ahead. But the amazing thing about the predictions found in Daniel chapter 2 is that they have been accurately fulfilled for the last 2,500 years. Many details of this prophetic dream have already come to pass, and that gives us confidence that the parts remaining to be fulfilled will happen just as God has said they would. So let's look at this amazing dream and what it means for us today. Remember, Daniel chapter 1 leaves us with Daniel firmly in place in the royal palace in Babylon as an advisor to the king. He is one of a group of counselors and advisors to the court. God had given him understanding in all visions and dreams, according to Daniel chapter 1, verse 17. That understanding is about to be put to the test. In the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams, and his spirit was so troubled that his sleep left him. Then the king gave the command to call the musicians and astrologers and sorcerers and the Chaldeans to tell the king his dreams. So they came and stood before the king, and the king said to them, I have had a dream, and my spirit is anxious to know the dream. Daniel chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. In ancient times, Dreams were considered an important way through which the God communicated with humans. Today, we don't look at dreams like that. We think of dreams as the mind pulling together a variety of thoughts and experiences and other things into a convoluted, often confusing mix. 
We don't think of them as God trying to tell us something, but that was not the way people looked at the dreams in Daniel's day. King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream that troubled him greatly. It woke him up, and he couldn't go back to sleep. He also couldn't remember what he had dreamed. He knew it was important, but he couldn't recall the dream. So he called his team of advisors and musicians and the astrologers and sorcerers, saying, I have had a dream, he told them, and I'm anxious to know what it means. They replied, O king, live forever. Tell your dreams to all of us, and we will give interpretation. Of course, Nebuchadnezzar couldn't tell them the dream because he couldn't remember it. Now, it might seem to you that king was being unreasonable. How could he expect his advisors to know what he had dreamed? But that was exactly what these musicians and astrologers and sorcerers were supposed to be able to do. They were supposed to be in touch with God. They were supposed to be able to know things that ordinary people had no way of knowing. The gods were supposed to speak to them and give them special insight and knowledge. So when they asked to know his dream before they could interpret it for him, Nebuchadnezzar knew exactly what they were doing. Once they knew the dream, they would be able to come up with an interpretation that they thought would please him. The king answered and said, I know for certain that you would gain time because you see that my decision is firm. If you do not make known the dream to me, there is only one decree for you. For you have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the time has changed. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can give me its interpretation. Verses 8 and 9. If his brain trust couldn't tell the king what he dreamed the night before, how could they tell him what would happen in the future? As they continued negotiating back and forth, the king became furious. He gave the command to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree went out, and they began killing the wise men, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them according to verses 12 and 13. Daniel was not one of these musicians or astrologers and sorcerers. He was not a psychic, but he was part of the educated elite. He was one of the king's advisors, and the death decree applied to him as well. Apparently, Daniel was not in the room when the back and forth was going on between the king and these musicians because the king's soldiers came to look for him as they carried out the decree to put these advisors to death, according to verse 13. And he didn't know what was going on, according to verse 15. But when he learned why the king was so angry and how urgently Nebuchadnezzar wanted to know what he had dreamed and what it meant, Daniel went in and asked the king to give him time that he might tell the king the interpretation according to verse 16.
Think about what this verse implies. Think about the fate required on Daniel's part to do what he did. When he went to ask Nebuchadnezzar four times, did Daniel have any idea what the king had dreamed? No, he did not. Did he have any idea what interpretation of the dream might involve? No. But he had faith that God would make all this known to him. And Nebuchadnezzar also must have believed that Daniel could fulfill what he promised. Then Daniel went to his house and made the decision known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, that they might seek mercies from the God of heaven concerning this secret, so that Daniel and his companions might not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the secret was revealed to Daniel in the night vision. So Daniel blessed the God of heaven, verses from 17 through 19. Daniel did not know what the king had dreamed, but he knew someone who did. He didn't know the interpretation, but he knew someone who did. And he knew what to do. In the secret place of prayer, Daniel and his friends found the answer to the dilemma they faced. The secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. Verse 19. In the crisis at the close of his earth history, we are going to face many problems that we will never be able to go through unless we know how to pray. There are problems that we all face every day right now. Problems in our marriages, problems in our homes with our kids, financial problems, health problems. We need to bring these to the Lord in prayer. Yes, sometimes there are individuals who can help with our everyday problems. There are doctors and financial advisors and family counselors, of course. We need to take advantage of all these human resources, but rather than waiting until we come to the end of our ability to deal with things, it is important to recognize that God is always there. Day by day, in the secret place of prayer, we can receive strength from God so that when the problem comes, we have the inner resolve and thrive in the midst of life's challenges. There was no human being who could solve Daniel's problem. And when we go into crisis of the end time, we too will find that God is the only solution to the issues we face. Like Daniel and his friends, we will need to seek mercies from the God of heaven, according to verse 18. In the crisis of his life, Daniel found the answer in the secret place of prayer. And that is where you will find answers to. Armed with the knowledge he had received from God, Daniel went in before the king and said, the secret which the king has demanded, the wise men, the astrologers, the musicians, and soothsayers cannot declare to the king, 
but there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days, verses 27 and 28. Daniel was careful not to take personal credit for being able to reveal the king's dream. There is a God in heaven, he said, who reveals secrets. It would have been easy to build up his credibility and power with the king by pointing to himself as the one who was able to do what none of the other of the king's advisors could do. But Daniel pointed instead to the, to the God of heaven. With certainty and assurance, he announced, there is a God in heaven. Not maybe, not perhaps, not I think so. There is a God in heaven. Notice too, what Daniel says about the focus of the dream. God has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Verse 28. So wherever this dream may begin, it ends in the latter days. This is a dream that takes us down to corridors of time to the final days of Earth's history. Let's take a look at the king's dream. Daniel says, you, O king, were watching, and behold, a great image. This great image, whose splendor was excellent and stood before you, and its form was awesome. This image's head was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. You watched while a stone was cut out without hands, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay, and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed together and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors, and the wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found. And the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Verses from 31 through 35. Can't you just imagine how Nebuchadnezzar must have reacted when he heard Daniel describe his dream. Yes, that's just what I saw. I remember now this huge image of different metals and the rock that came and smashed it all to pieces. It's all coming back to me now. The Bible doesn't tell us the king's reaction, but it must have been something like that. He had been so troubled by, by this dream that he couldn't remember. He knew it was important, but it remained totally out of reach of his memory. Now, Daniel had brought everything back to him. But of course, the really important question was, what does it mean? What is the interpretation? Now, some people say that Bible prophecy is just a matter of personal interpretation, that we can make a prophecy mean whatever we think it should mean. We can read into anything we like, but 
doesn't it make sense that the God who gave the prophecy would also provide the correct interpretation of the prophecy? Wouldn't that be a logical conclusion? If God gave Nebuchadnezzar a dream that applied to the last days, wouldn't Daniel's explanation of that dream be the one that God gave him? So, let's see how God interpreted the dream he gave to Nebuchadnezzar and explained to Daniel. Daniel begins by saying, You, O king, are a king of kings. For the God of heaven has given you a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. And wherever the children of man dwell, or the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heaven, he has given them into your hand, and has made you ruler over them all. You are this head of gold, verses 37 and 38. Who has represented by the head of gold? Nebuchadnezzar or Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom. The text says, you are this head of gold, verse 38, referring to Nebuchadnezzar. But let's look further as we will see the succeeding verses of the interpretation the remaining metals of the image represent kingdoms, not the individual rulers of those kingdoms. So it makes sense to understand that when Daniel told Nebuchadnezzar, you are this head of gold, he was referring primarily to the kingdom of Babylon over which Nebuchadnezzar ruled. God was giving Nebuchadnezzar a summary of world history and of the successive kingdoms that would be world powers from his day down to the very end of time. The four medals of the image in descending value represent four great world kingdoms. The first, the head of gold, represents Babylon. Daniel's interpretation of the image doesn't name the kingdoms that would follow Babylon on the, on the world stage, but Daniel chapter 8 identifies two of them as Media Persia and Greece. As Nebuchadnezzar listened with very close attention to what Daniel had to say, Daniel continued the interpretation he had received from God. You, O king, are a king of kings, but after you shall arise another kingdom inferior to yours, then another, a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over the earth. Verses 37 and 39. The head of gold represents Babylon. The images, silver chests, and arms represent the next kingdom after Babylon. And the kingdom was Media Persia. The thigh of bronze represents Greece. And the kingdom that would follow Media Persia. Then the Bible says there would be a fourth kingdom represented by iron legs and the feet of the image. The fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron inasmuch as iron breaks in pieces and shatters everything. And like iron that clashes, that kingdom will break in pieces and crush all the others. Whereas you saw the feet and toes partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, 
The kingdom shall be divided, yet the strength of the iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mix the ceramic clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly fragile. As you saw iron mixed with ceramic clay, they will mingle with the seed of man, but they will not adhere to one another, just as iron does not mix with clay. Verses from 40 to 43. What kingdom does history tell us followed Greece as a world power? Rome. The Iron Empire of Rome ruled the world following Greece. History has unfolded just as Nebuchadnezzar's dream predicted, following the blueprint God gave centuries in advance. Let's review the miraculous accuracy of this prophecy. Babylon, represented by the head of gold, ruled the world from 605 to 539 BC. Gold was a very apt symbol of Babylon. Babylon's wealth was unparalleled. In fact, Marduk, the god of Babylon, sat on a golden throne beside a golden table next to a golden candlestick in a golden dome temple. The prophet Jeremiah pictured Babylon as a golden cup in the Lord's hand in Jeremiah chapter 51 verse 7. But then, another empire was to follow Babylon, Media, Persia, symbolized by the chest and arms of silver. The Medes and Persians overthrew Babylon in 539 BC. Babylon was such a mighty empire that it seems unthinkable it could be overthrown. Its capital city had walls over 100 feet high and wide enough for two chariots to race along the top side by side. The Euphrates River ran through the city of Babylon, providing it with a constant water supply. In those days, when one nation attacked another, its soldiers would surround the enemy city and lay siege to it, preventing food from coming in. Reliable historians tell us that Babylon had a 20-year food supply within the city. It was a well-fortified city that seemed invincible. The river Euphrates supplied with its fresh water all the time. Its armies comprised one of the largest and strongest fighting forces in the ancient world. Its wealth was unparalleled and its fortification appeared unconquerable. So how did Babylon fall to Media and Persia? Let's look at an amazing prophecy in the book of Isaiah. In this prophecy, God not only named the leader who would overthrow Babylon, but also the strategy that he would use to overcome the city. It says, Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have held, to subdue nations before him and lose the armor of kings, to open before him the double doors so that the gates will not be shut. I will go before you. I will break in pieces the gates of bronze. That's Isaiah chapter 45, verse 1 and 2. Verse 
24 and 28 in chapter 44 a book of Isaiah says this thus says the Lord I will dry up your rivers who says of Cyrus he is my shepherd and he shall perform all my pleasure more than a hundred years before Cyrus was born God named him as the man who would overthrow Babylon The psychics may make guesses, the astrologers and musicians may throw out their ideal speculations, but God knows. Prophecy doesn't guess because it looks into the future with the eyes of the all-seeing God. In 539 BC, Cyrus, the Persian ruler, and Darius, the Mede, of the joint Medo-Persian Empire led their armies to overthrow Babylon. Over a century earlier, God has said this would happen. He knows the future. How did the fall of Babylon take place? The Euphrates River ran through Babylon, and where it entered and exited the city, there were huge gates that, that, that could close to seal off the city from invaders. But Cyrus dug large tributaries and canals upriver from the city. So he diverted the river into these channels, which stopped the water flow of the river. He then marched his soldiers down the empty riverbed and under the city gates. But Babylon also had walls along the river within the city for just such an emergency. Everyone would piece the main city walls where the river enters, still had to get past these inner walls along the river banks within the city. The night of Cyrus' attack, the double doors of these inner walls had been left open because a drunken feast was going on. And so the river was dried up, the doors were left open. And of course, Cyrus marched into the city and overthrew it. God had foretold all this more than a century earlier, even mentioning Cyrus by name. Prophecy does not guess. Media Persia followed Babylon as the dominant world empire, just as Daniel told King Nebuchadnezzar it would. It ruled from 539 to 331 BC. Daniel continued his interpretation of the king's dream. A third world kingdom would arise, he said, symbolized by the bronze belly and thighs of the image. The nation of Greece ruled the world from 331 to 168 BC. The powerful Greek leader Alexander the Great, at 32 years old, expanded the Greek Empire throughout the Mediterranean region. A brilliant military strategist, ruthless warrior, and relentless fighter, Alexander himself often led his soldiers into combat. By the time Alexander was 33, Greece was a dominant world power. Nation after nation fell before its attacks. One historian states that Alexander lamented because there were no more wars to conquer. History was following this prophecy like a blueprint. 
Alexander planned to rebuild the temple tower at Babylon. He wanted to make Babylon a providential capital. For two months, 10,000 men worked to clear away the debris from Babylon. Then Alexander died suddenly, weakened by malaria and overcome with alcohol. The project was abandoned. Alexander and Jesus both died at 33. Jesus When Jesus was 33 years old, he hung on a cross with nails through his hand and feet and a crown of thorns on his head. One had all the kingdoms of this world but died having nothing to real value. The other had nothing in this world but died victorious having everything of real value. When we come to our last day and are staring death in face, Only one thing really matters, knowing God. The only thing that matters then is the assurance that your life is safe in His hand and that you will live forever with Him in His kingdom. Alexander did not have that assurance. He went to his grave not knowing the peace that comes only from this personal intimate relationship with the Creator of the universe. There is a sense of inner contentment and deep joy in the assurance that there is a God in heaven who is guiding the affairs of your life. When you have the certainty that you are not some speck of cosmic dust in the universe, but are created in the image of God and have untold value in His sight, your life takes on a new depth of meaning. Greece, in turn, would, would fade away and give place to another world kingdom. In 168 BC, the Iron Empire of Rome conquered Greece at the Battle of Pydna, marking its rise to world dominion. World history had reached the place in Nebuchadnezzar's dream represented by the iron portion of the great image. The Romans united their empire with a system of Roman roads, the worship of Roman gods, Roman culture, Roman governors, and a strong, ruthless Roman military that immediately suppressed all opposition. Rome ruled with an iron feast. Edward Gibbon wrote his world-renowned book, The Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire. He says, The image of gold, or silver, or brass, that might serve to represent the nations and their kings, were successfully broken by the iron monarchy of Rome. Isn't it amazing that the historian uses the very words of Bible prophecy to describe this leg of iron? It's noteworthy that the image The king saw in his dream was composed of different metals, gold, silver, bronze, and iron, in descending order of value. The feet of the image were made of iron mixed with clay. Could this be telling us that the world is becoming increasingly unstable? Economically, nations are struggling on the verge of financial disaster. Global warming seriously impacts our environment. Killer storms are becoming more frequent. 
crime and violence are increasing. School shootings have become commonplace. Nations possessing nuclear weapons are gradually and increasingly making our world less safe. Additionally, moral values and ethical principles are rapidly deteriorating. The Bible warns of just such a time in the last days. The Apostle Paul says, Know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying his power. 2 Timothy 3 verses 1 through 5. The prophecy of Daniel 2 predicts a succession of of four world kingdoms that will follow each other, Babylon, Media, Persia, Greece, and Rome. Four kingdoms, not five, not six, but four. This prophecy is not some general vague predictions like many magazines that you see in the supermarket. It is exact and specific, four world kingdoms. The book of Daniel even names three of them, Babylon, Media, Persia, and Greece in Daniel chapter 8. What does the prophecy say will happen following the Iron Empire of Rome? The fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron, as much as iron breaks in pieces and shudders everything. And like iron that crushes, the, king, the kingdom will break in pieces and crush all the others. Whereas you saw the feet of toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, the kingdom shall be divided, yet the strength of the iron shall be in it, just as you saw an iron mixed with ceramic clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly fragile. As you saw iron mixed with ceramic clay, they will mingle with the seed of man, but they will not adhere to one another, just as iron does not mix with clay. Daniel 2, verses from 40 to 43. Notice this prophecy says there would not be a fifth world ruling empire that would follow Rome. But what does the prophecy reveal would take place after Babylon, the head of the gold? Persia, the chest and arms of silver. Greece, the thigh of brass. And Rome, the leg of iron. If we made an educated guess based on simple logic, we would probably predict more of the same. We might surmise that additional nations described by additional metals would arise. It is only logical to assume that after four ruling nations, there would be a fifth, a sixth, and a seventh, and so on. The march of history would continue, but here we are in for a surprise. 
What do we know about the fall of the fourth nation in the sequence? Rome. Was Rome conquered by a fifth great empire? No. It was broken up and divided. This is exactly what Nebuchadnezzar's dream predicted. The iron was not followed another powerful metal, but by feet and toes of clay and iron, two things that will absolutely not stick together. Daniel 2.41 declares, Whereas you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, the kingdom shall be divided. It is not expected, right? Yes, most definitely. But it happened just as the Bible predicted. Barbarian tribes invaded from the north, attacked the Roman Empire, and tore it apart. The Franks conquered and then settled in the area that now we know as, what, France. The Anglo-Saxons invaded England. The Alemanni overran Germany. The Heruli occupied Italy. The Visigoths dominated southern Spain. The Suvi established themselves in Portugal, and the Vandals settled in North Africa. The old Roman Empire was divided just as the prophecy forecast, and the map of Europe today reflects in part these ancient divisions. Although the borders of the countries have shifted due to additional wars through the centuries, the divided state of Europe still reflects the accuracy of this ancient prophecy. Daniel's prophecy declares that the Iron Kingdom would be divided, and that is just what happened. From AD 351 to AD 476, Rome fell apart through laziness, corruption, and immorality within. Rome would fracture into numerous kingdoms symbolized by the Ten Toes, during the 4th and the 5th centuries, which is 351 through 476, barbaric invaders from the north poured down on the decaying Roman Empire, delivering blow after blow. Eventually, numerous independent nations established themselves within the boundaries of what today is Western Europe. Some of these were strong like iron, others were weak like clay, just as the prophecy predicted. These became the forerunners of the modern nations of Europe. The statue's toe of iron mixed with clay represent these nations into which the Roman Empire was divided. The prophecy was literally fulfilled and history again harmonizes with what God foretold. History is following the Bible like a blueprint. Notice verse 43, as you saw iron mixed with ceramic clay, they, the nations of the divided Roman Empire, will mingle with the seed of man, but they will not adhere to one another, just as iron does not mix with clay. There would be attempts to bring together these nations of divided Rome and reunited them into a single world power, they would mingle themselves with the seed of man. The history of Europe is a history of kings arising and attempting to marry off their sons and daughters to the children of kings of other powerful nations in order to unite and form major family units that could dominate all Europe. 
At times in history, many of the rulers of Europe were closely related to one another. Others, such as Napoleon and Hitler, tried to unite the nations of Europe into a single empire through war and conquest. But all these attempts to bring about a fifth world empire have failed. God's word said, They will not adhere to one another, just as iron does not mix with clay. Those words have stopped every would-be ruler of a fifth world empire. For a time, it looked as though communism was spreading beyond the bounds of Russia down to Ukraine, out into Hungary, Poland, Romania, Bulgaria, and Yugoslavia, but it too was stopped. Why? Because God's word says, they will not adhere to one another. Prophecy doesn't guess or wish or hope. It is certain because God is guiding the destiny of the nations. Now notice the great climax of the prophecy of Daniel 2. In the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. Inasmuch as you saw that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it broke in pieces in iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God has made known to the king what will come to pass after this. The dream is certain, and his interpretation is sure. Verses 44 and 45. The rock cut out of the mountain without hands clearly represent the eternal, everlasting kingdom of Jesus Christ. The prophecy says that God's kingdom will be set up in the days of these kings. The nations of modern Europe and form out of the divisions of the Roman Empire. We are living today not in the head of gold, not in the chest and arms of silver, not in the thighs of brass, not in the legs of iron, not even in the days of the feet of iron and clay. We are living in the very toenails of history. We are living the days just before the rock strikes the kingdoms of this world and breaks them all in pieces so that the God of heaven can establish his everlasting kingdom of peace and righteousness. This world would not end in some great nuclear holocaust. This world will not end in some overwhelming famine. This world will not end with some massive earthquake. It will not end with some human catastrophe. Babylon rose and fell. Media Persia rose and fell. Greece rose and fell. Rome rose and fell. The Roman Empire was divided. Political leaders attempt to unite Europe. They didn't succeed. For 2,500 years, this prophecy has been accurate in each precise detail. For 2,500 years, prophecy has been fulfilled in each minute detail. And God says that the next event in the prophecy is the rock cut out without hands. 
His everlasting kingdom. Throughout the Bible, Jesus Christ is symbolized as the great Rock of Ages. He is solid and immovable. He is permanent and eternal. Babylon had its moment in the sun of fame and glory. So did Media and Persia and Greece and Rome. But those kingdoms have come and gone. Christ's eternal kingdom is on the way. We're living at the end of time. Daniel's words to the ancient Babylonian king speak in trumpet tones to his generations. The dream is certain. The interpretation is sure. To a generation seeking for answers regarding the future, God's word presents certainty. The kingdom of God will soon be established. Suffering will soon be over. The kingdoms of this earth will give away to the kingdom of God. When Daniel finished interpreting the king's dream, Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face before the prophet and proclaimed, "Truly, your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings, and the revealer of secrets." Verse forty-seven. He made Daniel chief administrator of all the wise men of Babylon. To his credit, Nebuchadnezzar accepted this word from the God of heaven. Once again, Daniel's faithfulness to his God had made an impact on the pagan ruler of Babylon, although it would not be a lasting one, as we shall see. More things in Daniel, chapter three. I hope today's story was inspiring. My prayer is that God will touch your heart right now. Why don't you spend a moment of prayer after this podcast? Ask God to show you who He really is. If you want to reach out to me, you can email me. At Sean dot Lee at p s e a n l s h dot com, or you can visit the webpage p sean l s h dot com. Also, please subscribe and like it. And if you can share this podcast with your friend, that'd be awesome too. So, my friends, stay blessed. I will see you next time.